Hello, friends, and welcome to our SBT six-week Skillful Living teaching series. My name is Venerable Tarpa. Uh, before we begin, let's take a moment, as usual, to appreciate our wonderful and handsome community gathered here today. Today, I feel fortunate to sit as a member of this kind of community in the safety and security of like-minded friends sharing this present moment with others dedicated to the cultivation of goodness. Today, I'm grateful for the direction and support that this community provides, a community worthy of my time and commitment, a community where my efforts have meaning, purpose, and are appreciated. Today, I'm thankful for this community of awakening, a place to gain the knowledge and skills to improve my life a family, a home, and a sanctuary for all of us seeking refuge from the storm. And let's remember as conscientious practitioners, we must recognize our responsibility to the world, to strive to live skillfully while helping others to do the same, to strive to live in balance and harmony with nature and others, to strive to gain mastery over our minds and embody our true benevolent nature to expend our hearts and minds, transcending our shared human limitations, to not intentionally harm sentient life or our planet, to maturely accept and embrace the reality of our situation while striving to improve it. Again, welcome to our program. This is our fourth week in our eighth class. In today's class, we're gonna be furthering our exploration of uh, challenging emotions and mental states, which we started yesterday. Um, but first, let's take a moment and review what we learned yesterday. So uh, we began to explore uh, challenging emotions and mental states. We talked about our shared human limitations and exactly what those were, that all of us, regardless of, of who and what we are, we all share the same limitations of, of ignorance and confusion and immaturity and selfishness and uh, a lack of self-control, anger, greed, uh, envy, you name it. We all share the same basic limitations, but of course in different quantities. Uh, we also talked about the difference between pain and suffering. The pain is seen in Buddhism more as the, as the initial affliction. And then suffering comes about as a secondary condition in which we keep reliving the pain or increasing the pain. And that pain could either be physical, emotional, or mental. Um, we, walked, worked, oh, we talked about how to work with negative thoughts and memories and how by by learning to transcend these qualities, oftentimes the mental residue and aspects of them also fall away. So as you awaken and as you purify your, your, uh, your mental, your mind stream, um, oftentimes a, a lot of the negativity and thoughts and memories falls away on its own. It hasn't in my case. We also talked about the correlation between challenging emotions and self-confidence. And that um, there's, this, there's this interesting correlation that as, we, as our self-confidence lowers, these challenging or disturbing emotions seem to increase. And the, the easiest way to see this is think about times in which your self-confidence is very high. Think, you know, you, you, got the, you got the job that you were hoping to get, you got into the school you were hoping to get, whatever it is, some, a point where we're, we're riding high on success and our self-confidence is high. You know, all those other challenging emotions, self-doubt and everything, are, is there any sense of those at all? Absolutely not, right? They all disappear. It's more of these, more of the times where we're, we're battling self-confidence and we're becoming a little bit, uh, we're becoming uh, a, a kind of neurotically um, uh, introverted, you know, uh, uh, and, and the idea is that as we, uh, as we look inward, a lot of these challenge, these difficult emotions kind of emerge. Um, 
and then we and then lastly we talked about the this idea of fuel that's behind our mental states and this was an idea that the buddha really uh, liked to, to use that to really get at the root of our problems we can't just deal with the afflictions themselves but we we need to look deeper at what's feeding those those qualities and in so many cases it's our speediness our busyness our uh, our sense of immediacy our exaggerated sense of immediacy would be more appropriate we talked about uh, learning to disidentify ourselves and and others with these limitations and so much of that we do through language you know we we stop saying things like i'm an angry person or i'm a greedy person instead we say that i'm 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 suffering i'm currently suffering from anger right um i'm having problems with greed but but to not identify so strongly with us with ourselves re- realizing that they're their qualities that arise from causes and conditions they're not natural aspects of our true nature we also talked about a, a, the practice of trust i call it the practice of trust of learning how to gain authentic self confidence by reflecting on the uh, our our own abilities our own intelligence our skills our our ability to problem solve our ability to gain information that possibly we don't have right now but knowing that we could learn something in the future for what problems arise i often refer to it as just karma you know the trust in this momentum that i've been creating in my life full of all of my positive intentions my positive actions goodwill that moves forward and this includes the friends you make and the and the the community that you, that's gathered around you you know all of these things pave and create this momentum that moves forward into each moment so we don't enter each moment naked we enter each moment with our karma with this momentum of all the hard work that we've done and uh and then we're going to talk a little bit about more of this today that through understanding our emotions and mental states we can really begin to work with them and gain mastery over them thereby creating mental and emotional stability and happiness in our lives so uh, do you remember yesterday we we had this and it seems so obvious when you say it but i i'm surprised by how many people are kind of shocked by the idea that transcending suffering and gaining happiness are exactly the same thing right there they seem like antonyms but they're really synonymous aren't they both you know both of them result, uh, end in the same result whether we're if we're if we're eliminating suffering in our lives you know the aim is to be happy so um i always think that that's quite fascinating so practices for either do the same thing uh, does anyone have any have any questions about yesterday's class? Has anybody tried any disassociation with your limitations since we talked? Have you started to kind of see how that works? I'm having a problem with my mute button. It kind of gets stuck. Um, how about this idea of practicing trust to gain self-confidence? Have you guys had any thoughts on that? Has anybody tried it? I just say the word trust. I get a little nervous about something. I'm worried about something in the future. <clears throat> I just say to myself, trust. And it seems to... It helps me, yeah. I was thinking today if we did a, <clears throat> if we were able to do a graphic on everybody's life, on all the worries you've had, and all the decisions, and all the outcomes of those worries, I bet, I bet the graphic would be like eighty percent of the things that you've worried about in your life were nothing to worry about. They all worked out okay, right? Maybe ninety percent. I'm only guessing, but I have a feeling it is. So the idea of trust, I think mathematics would back it up. 
I think if we could really see our lives in that way. Yeah, okay, good. Let's move on to today's lesson. So uh, we're going to continue uh, looking at uh, and exploring, working with challenging emotions and mental states. So the first and most powerful uh, tool we use for, for working with this is the power of understanding. And the power of understanding is the tool that works at the deepest level. This idea runs through all of Buddhism and all through SBT teachings. Um, the idea that if you really want to come to terms with something, if you want to change aspects of ourselves, if we want to <clears throat> learn new qualities, uh, the first thing you have to do is learn everything you can about it. Traditionally, they would call this wisdom. I like to use the word understanding. For me, um, I think wisdom sounds like, like something that uh, bearded old men smoking cigars do at their clubs, you know, wisdom, it's this, it's this, um, <clears throat> this uh, elitist kind of wisdom that only people at Ivy League schools have. But for me in Buddhism, the, the, this wisdom of Buddhism is much more grounded to me. It's, more, it's much more about understanding life than it is having uh, <clears throat> some kind of supreme wisdom about it you know it seems like wise people they they sit in their at their computers and write memes all day but in in buddhism understanding is just is understanding the common things in your life you know who and what you are right now sitting in that chair how life works how you and how you engage with your environment so i like to use the word understanding and so when we understand things especially something like fear you know fear the antidote is always understanding when we understand things our mind can get a grasp on them the mysteries kind of are unraveled this is how we come to terms with everything at the deepest root level. And of course, Buddhism does this, right? It, for those of you who study Buddhism, the Four Noble Truths is, is directed directly at that, right? Truth here, the Four Noble Truths, you could see the four, the four noble understandings would be just as apropos. So um, <clears throat> the Buddha, uh, in all of his teachings, everything is working towards developing right view and the right view of, of reality, and that's done through understanding. So understanding is our most powerful tool. It's the tool that works at the deepest level, and that's the one we're going to rely on the most. We also talked about in this series uh, that in Buddhism, we, tr we work on transcendence and not suppression, and that <clears throat> many of the habits that we have are merely, uh, many of the challenges we have are merely habits. So uh, the example we gave was they often used to say qualities like hatred, that it was that you shouldn't suppress it, that you should uh, act out your anger in positive ways and healthier ways. And that led to primal scream theory where men, hairy men would go out in the woods and take off their shirts and scream at trees and things like that. Those silly things back in the 70s and 80s. And everybody found out it just doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is there's no way to, to express uh, uh, these negative aspects in a healthy way. They're, they're habitual. So even if you're, you think you're expressing them healthily, you are still expressing them. So in Buddhism, the idea for us is to use antidotes, use other things, so um, so we can uh, just change our our mindset. But it's not suppression because we do it through understanding. We transcend our challenging emotions and mental states through understanding. We don't turn a blind eye to them. We understand them. Now we do apply antidotes. And some might say, well, isn't an antidote kind of a suppression? And there could be some truth to that, but, but those are antidotes for Buddhists are kind of like little band-aids that we use. The real uh, mechanism is understanding. Um, we use understanding to transcend our afflictions and limitations. And we learn how to 
through that, we learn how to reduce our emotional reactivity. So, um, <clears throat> and I think we're going to get to that in a second. We'll get to that when we talk about patience. Um, so some of the tools we learned yesterday were uh, u- utilizing antidotes, which simple ones are presence and becoming more objective and uh, replacing destructive emotions with constructive emotions, the four steps of acceptance we can use to work with any of those. You're going to find that that's an antidote we use on just about every quality. Uh, You have some anger arises, some jealousy arises, some greed arises. The four steps of acceptance is a a wonderful tool to use. And, um, And then we have the antidote of patience. So Patience is commonly thought of as I like the I like the uh, definition as good natured tolerance. <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty good for the West, right? Good natured tolerance. You're not just tolerating that you're stuck in line, that but you're doing it with kind of a smile on your face. But in Buddhism, patience is more akin to non-action or non-reaction. Uh, where one uh, is advised to become a block of wood. That's an that's what my teachers would always say to us, you know, and when you're insulted, when you're having troubles, become a block of wood. And I never liked it very much, and I'm not sure I, I like the idea of it, but maybe it's just the language. When somebody says, you know, try not to be reactive, that sounds a bit better to me. <clears throat> so, um, but but that's an important thing to remember in Buddhism, that when you see the word patience, it's much more akin to non-reaction, right? Or, or overreaction, not overreacting to things. Does anybody have any questions or thoughts about that? Can you, can you understand how understanding is the ultimate tool for working with our challenging emotions? And can you kind of see how by understanding the mechanism of how things like work, right? Like with anger, you know, looking, looking into yourself and, and saying, uh, you know, using introspection to, to deem, you know, where does the anger come from? What are the origins of it? What's making it arise? How does it dissipate? You know, what, what stimuli seem to create it? What tools work the best for dealing with it? All that understanding is what we use, right? Nima, did you have a question? Yeah, you're actually touching upon um, an issue that I've been um, trying to work on for the last several weeks, and that is um, my impatience um, and how my impatience is causing my um, self-confidence to um, dwindle because of health issues. And so yesterday after your talk, I, I was suffering physically and just feeling just so awful, you know, about not being able to be patient and, you know, like being a block of wood, I couldn't do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And um, and so I, I really want you to kind of help me with that whole idea of, you know, what is besides being a block of wood, how can I overcome this impatience that I have to be physically back to what I used to be? Um, because my I find that my lifestyle right now is very limited. And so <clears throat> I've sure. had so many procedures done. I'm having another one tomorrow. And it seems like it's not improving my health. It's actually making it more painful. Well, I would always use the four steps of acceptance. And the fact is, and one of the most important things to accept is that when we're suffering, when when we're taxed, when things are not going right, when we have a lot on our mind, it's hard to be patient. You know, it's easy to be patient when you're laying on the beach in Hawaii in your 20s and you're healthy and you're having a wonderful time. So to accept the fact that it's appropriate sometimes to be less patient than others. But again, we use that, we use the four steps of acceptance. The first thing to do when you notice that you're being impatient is automatically switch right to the breath, focus right on the breath, take some breaths, try to make yourself present. And then 
you know, you put a little objective distance in there. Um, accept the fact that I'm patient, I'm impatient, there's nothing wrong with that. And then get into the dialogue, you know. You know, talk to yourself, why am I, why am I being impatient? Where do I think it's coming from? And at this point, <clears throat> also try to bring in understanding. Try to figure out what is it, why, why am I suffering from it? And thinking about some of the various tools that we're going to teach you today on how to create more patience. So you know, that's what I do. I find that um, I, for the most part, I'm very good at doing these things, but lately I'm not. I've just been so um, distraught about it. But I guess my mind goes back to um, the past where, um, you know, I look at my family looks at sickness as being you must have done something really bad in your life. Uh, so this is why you're suffering um, rather than looking at my common humanity. I just go back there and I feel comfort in that. And I don't know why, but um, yeah. So you look at these things as well, right? Mm-hmm. So when these things arise you, arise, you practice the four steps of acceptance with those as well. But again, the answer to all of these things is understanding, right? Mm-hmm. It's usually, it's the confusion that comes up. I, I, I point out the questions you just asked me. You know, the first part of each one of them was why. Why am I a patient? Why do I go back to the way my parents thought about this? Why is this this? Why is this this? It's the confusion of not knowing that creates a lot of the suffering, right? Right. Past the initial pain, the suffering. So again, understanding is the secret to it. But then there's this. But then there's this aspect. Uh, we have understanding on one side, and we have uh, uh, and, and acceptance on the other. Because some some answers just aren't forthcoming. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you know you can apply understanding the best you can, and then at some point you just have to realize that well maybe there's not really an answer to this. And, and you have to kind of accept it. But the idea is we're filling up your toolbox and, you know, try out the tools and see which ones work for you. Because like you stated, some tools just you're in the mood for and other ones you're not. And sometimes when we're feeling bad, we don't want to improve when we're mm-hmm. feeling. I've been in situations where I, I, had, I knew the antidote, but I just didn't feel like applying it. Mm. Well, I just I wasn't I wanna... in the mood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, reinforcing this. Um, I will try it again. And these are some of the toughest questions for a teacher because they can be so personal and subjective. And um, oftentimes when we're when we're dealing with especially chronic illness, you know, it's just they're just tough. You know, I try to give you all the tools I can, but um, they're just difficult situations, but the, the good thing to, re, to remind, to remember is that we're here with you. You're not alone. You have friends and we suffer through these things together. And then the idea in Buddhism is that, you know, this is an aspect of life of getting sick, suffering. These are aspects of life, including, you know, old age and death. And for me, I have a belief in rebirth. I, I tell myself, well, yeah, this is what's happening, and I've done this a thousand times before, and here I go again. So I I have different aspects of acceptance. Wish I had more that should, more I could help you with, and you should post that in our uh, in our support group chat, and maybe some of our brilliant sangha might have some really good ideas as well. We're really I, I know, fortunate. I think I... I struggle with that too because um, <laughs> I have a difficult time sometimes sharing some difficulties, you know. Yeah. And so you could always contact me privately. We could talk. Okay. Thank you. Sang Mo or Sang Po, did you have a question? Um, I was really interested in what you just said there. Um, but I was just thinking myself when you talk about understanding that. Sometimes, you know, try to reflect, not to, to dwell too much on where things have gone wrong or where I haven't, um, but to try and learn from it so I can then move on. But 
you know, sometimes trying to not react at the moment, you know, can be quite difficult, you know, if you're tired or you're, you know, you've had a bad day at work or whatever, or a situation arises, then it's afterwards. Um, it's certainly one thing, you know, that that reflection and that process really does is it makes you realise um, how the scenario could be different. And the difference is not ruminating on it, but actually accepting that's how it should have been. That's how I should have done it. That would have been the more Buddhist way to have done it. And, you know, accepting that. And then hopefully the next time when it arises, the the, the four acceptance. Yeah. I will come into power. Yeah. yeah. I agree. And, and so we offer quite a few different tools, right? So sometimes you want to just dig right into it and look at it and try to understand it. Other times you might want to put it, use an antidote to put a Band-Aid on it. But you're right. Sometimes some things are good to set aside and some things you really have to understand. So, but ultimately, if you really want to transcend something, the only way really to do it is to understand it. The antidotes are used as Band-Aids kind of you know, for temporary fixes. Thank you, Sampo. Karma? Um, mine is more just a comment that um, I've been really searching for ways to um, deal with, I have PTSD from my childhood and from, <clears throat> excuse me, from uh, some of my past with being a foster parent and having very difficult children in my home and not being triggered by my children's current behaviors. So I just, I guess I wanted to say is that while right now I'm on kind of a vacation, so I can't really focus on it. I look forward to like delving deeper into this practice when I get home in a few days. Oh, you're courageous. And yeah, yeah. You know, I guess one of the first things you understand is that none of them are easy. And you start to see that a lot of these could be really difficult situations. But the the thing to keep in mind is that, you know, we can slowly make progress. You don't have to do it overnight. And you do it through practice. You do it through your own experience. You get some tools. You figure out how those tools best work for you. They're all very, very uh, personal, right? We all respond to different things. That's why we like this idea of filling up a toolbox for you so you have a lot of different tools to work with. We all respond to different ones. And of course, all of our problems, though we share the same limitations, how they manifest is greatly different in all of our lives, right? We all have different minds. We all have different problems. Yeah. Very good. Awesome. Some great questions. Thank you. Okay. How about we move on to looking at some specific ones? So, um, <clears throat> I wanted to look at, now in the text that you all have studied, I try to list all the main main afflictions, we'll call them, uh, but we don't have time to go through them all, so I just wanted to touch on a few of them. And what I like uh, about the list, and maybe you guys have caught on to it, that Buddhism has some really interesting definitions of these qualities. You know, um, we, think, we, we think about them in, in the West in, in certain ways, but... I'm always intrigued by uh, clever kind of definitions. Fear uh, is our first one, and fear has a, a really insightful definition. Uh, and, and Buddhism claims that fear is the anticipation of mental, emotional, physical pain and suffering. And I, I never thought about fear like that before, right? That it's the anticipation of pain. Or some kind of pain. Anyways, I thought that was really fascinating. And some of these are, are quite fascinating. So fear, like all our qualities, uh, fear exists in a spectrum with subtle existential anxiety at one end, like that there's a meteorite that's going to smash into the earth. That's a subtle fear that's probably way back in the back of your mind. Or for, for young people, the thought of dying way in the back of their minds. Um, and then on the other end, we have just sheer panic <laughs> on the other end, right? That uh, there's, a, there's a bear in your house or 
somebody, you walk in and all your things are missing, you've been robbed. Um, but fear exists as a spectrum. And if the spectrum is between, uh, well, we have, a, we, have a, we have a spectrum between the intensity of fear, but then we also have a spectrum in the quality of the, of the, of the fear, where we have sensible fear on one end, right? A bear is in my living room. That's a good reason to be fearful, right? But then we have the opposite. I call it afflictive fear because it, it doesn't seem to be sensible. It seems to be arising from something else. And afflictive fear is just silly things that we worry about. Or maybe you know of a family member or a friend who exaggerates something into the point where it's just a ridiculous fear, right? They, uh, they um, <clears throat> oh, who knows what it is. I, I remember... I remember people that after the movie Jaws who had problems getting in the bathtub. You know, like that would be an afflictive fear. You know, you're not going to get eaten by a shark in your own bathtub. Um, and the way we, we go about uh, working with fear, now especially with fear, the, the antidote is understanding. You know, when you slowly more and more understand what that thing is, uh, it helps so much. So much of fear is the, is the not knowing that's what really creates the fear. So it's an anticipation of future pain and suffering, but it's also the, the, the not knowing what's going to happen part. That really gets us. And, uh, and other things with, with the sensible fears, accepting certain things. Like uh, when the pandemic was going on, we all had to accept a certain level of fear and worry, right? And then, of course, uh, to apply antidotes. And again, we mentioned that wisdom was the antidote to fear. Uh, but uh, that's a complex topic. We could talk about, we could have a whole class on fear. Uh, and Buddhism asserts that fear arises from our ignorance and confusion. Now, that sounds good on paper, but how does, how does, that, <clears throat> how does that equate when there's a bear in your living room? Are you, looking at, are you looking at yourself and thinking, what of my ignorance and fear has to do with this fear? So I don't think it covers them all, but nevertheless, that's the Buddhist take on it. Uh, the next quality is, uh, it's kind of a family of qualities. I list it in the book as guilt, but it's this whole family of guilt, shame, regret, remorse, right? Uh, this is one that in particular, I think Buddhism has a, um, uh, an amazing take on it. I did a video on it. I think it's still on our uh, YouTube uh, uh, channel. But um, in so many ways, guilt is about uh, our perspective. And it's uh, guilt, shame, or good remorse is looking at the past in a certain way and usually an inaccurate way. In our text, I talk about myself and my mother passed away. And though I, I thought I did a very good job of taking care of her, uh, I, later in life, I thought I should have done more. I, I should have been there uh, talking to her more, all these different things. But the fact is, is that what I'm really doing is I'm looking into the past from my current mental state and I'm blaming the younger me for not being more mature. And of course, this is just ridiculous, right? I, you have to accept the fact, or I had to accept the fact that that younger me when I was in my early 30s, that's, that's all I was capable of is what I did. You know, for me to look back and think that all the, all the ways I would react now, uh, that was me accurately. That was my level of maturity, my level of care, my level of understanding, probably more than anything, my level of maturity, yeah? And my level of energy, whatever you want to say, that was me at that point. That was an accurate uh, description of Tenzin Tarpa at 30-something years old. So this is how we deal with guilt. Now, Buddhism would say that you have to look back um, and accept your level of ignorance. That's how Buddhism likes to say it. To, ex to accept your level of ignorance at that level. So as we awaken, we become more compassionate and, and wiser and better, 
But it's easy to look back into our lives and say, oh, I remember that time I was really mean to that person and I, I shouldn't have done that. But the fact is, is, you're a different person now. So in retrospect, we kind of judge ourselves. Yeah? And then there's this aspect where people will say, well, TARPA, that sounds great, but there's been things in the past that I knew were wrong and I still did them. And guess what? That was still you at your best, right? That was still you at that level. That was your level of energy. That was your level of willpower. You know, just knowing the right thing to do doesn't, doesn't guarantee that something happens. It has to be followed by, by effort, by willpower, you know, by um, the, the, the idea of, uh, of energy. So no matter what it is, you know, it, it's still that same thing of us in retrospect looking and judging our lives from where we are now. And I, I have this idea, and it comes from Buddhism, but I, I truly believe that everybody is always doing the best job they can. I hate to talk in extremes, but most of us, most of the time, are always working at being the best we are in every moment. And of course, we just all kind of fall from that. Buddhism asserts this by, by asserting that uh, the, our true nature as being benevolent and good and wonderful, smart, wise, compassionate. You know, imagine yourself as an awakened being, what that person is. Buddhism asserts, well, that's your true nature. Everything else are just afflictions or limitations, right? And so we have this true nature, but it's covered over by all the things we've been talking about, all these qualities, ignorance and <clears throat> immaturity and laziness and lack of self-awareness you name it um so uh and and then there are those people that seem to delight in hurting others and causing trouble <clears throat> and these people are just have deeply convoluted minds and you know we would we would attribute that to a form of mental illness so um so i i like that premise and i, I truly believe in it that in every moment everybody's trying to do trying to be the best person they are. They just have different levels of limitations that they're dealing with. When I was in my early 30s, <clears throat> my limitations and afflictions were so much stronger than they are now, you know? So that affected me. It wasn't my fault. They were, those qualities were not accurate, uh, were not uh, part of my true nature. They were, they were afflictions. They, were, they, they arose from causes and conditions. So you could see how a, a lot of the conversations we're, we're having kind of tie together into this, this idea. Now, at the same time, you still have to hold people responsible for their actions. You know, it's kind of a paradox. And, and one aspect, you realize that you really can't blame people for not being able to deal with their limitations and afflictions. When I worked at uh, top meditation in prisons, you, you soon found that most of the people in prisons weren't criminals. They were people with anger issues. They were people that just could not control their anger. And um, then they would act out violently or whatever throughout their lives, you know, angry like that in school, and they end up in prison. So on one end, we have to recognize that that some people really have afflictions and limitations that are so strong they can barely deal with them. And, at, and on the other end, we still have to hold people responsible for the behaviors. Okay. Oh, and the next one up is anger. Here you go. Did I just say enough about it? Uh, anger is de defined as an intense feeling of annoyance. This is another one that uh, Buddhism defines in a really interesting way. An intense lack of annoyance an, an intense feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility against a foreseen obstacle. Isn't that interesting? That anger is comes about because there's some you 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 find some type of obstacle in front of you, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, and that's fascinating, isn't it? When, when something stands in the way between us and our happiness, we have anger. Go ahead, Neil. You've got a question. 
from Dennis. Does, does Buddhism also consider self-forgiveness? Yeah, uh, this is an interesting question. I've had, I've had people in the past ask me about, can you do a teaching on self-forgiveness and self-love? And to be honest, I, was a I didn't know what to think. I was a little perplexed because uh, in just kind of trying to think back of in, in all my studies, I didn't remember necessarily such a thing. And then it became really clear to me that Buddhism just has a different approach to it. Buddhism is aimed at uncovering your true value. So between the talk we just talked about with guilt, where realizing that, that there's nothing to forgive because you're a human being with limitations and afflictions. You can't blame a person for their limitations and afflictions. You know, you can blame a person for not working with them to try to be a better person. And, but the idea is you, you can't blame yourself for whatever the afflictions and limitations may be. But so, and instead realizing our true nature and, and benevolence and realizing your true value through practice, which we're gonna be talking about in our last week of practice in the Skillful Living Program. When you realize your true value, you realize there's nothing to forgive and there's no one to forgive. You know, you can't blame a person for having obstacles. It's not their fault. They're, they're, the quality that you would need to forgive yourself for isn't an inherent part of you. They're just, they're just obstacles. So, it, you know, it goes right into, it goes into guilt, right? Blaming yourself for something you did when you were younger. You know, another, I think I give another analogy in, in the book about and, and this works as well. We're talking about karma that, um, you know, you, let's say uh, you're an honest person, but when you were a child, you stole a candy bar when you're just a little kid, but you're such a good person. It's haunted you your whole life. You feel so bad about it. And um, I should have never stole that candy bar. Now, you never stole anything since then. And you've been a good human being, but you, you still feel guilty about it. But looking at it properly and and uh, this is a story I, I give when I talk about karma. So you say you have, um, so this creates a karmic propensity in you because you feel guilty about that thing that you stole and it col colors your personality, it colors your perspective. Uh, this has to do with mind and mental factors. But if you can reflect back accurately and you say to yourself, hey, that I was just a kid when it happened, and, and you use this positive dialogue and you say that, you know, lots of kids steal. It's a normal part of life. They, you know, maybe once with shoplifting or something. And you say to yourself, you know, I did it once. I felt bad about it. I never did it again. Quite possibly, this was a beneficial experience. This taught me the difference between right and wrong. So, because clearly I haven't done it since. This gives us a, a, a so, the guilt is replaced. There's nothing to forgive yourself for, right? You're, you don't have to forgive yourself for stealing. You just have to realize that it was, it was you dealing with this affliction. Or, and, um, and by changing the way you think about it, when you real, realize your true value, it disappears. So I've never done teachings on self-forgiveness. I always do teachings on helping people to recognize their true value. Because then I think you realize they're, you never have to forgive yourself. You've always been doing the best you can. And even those times you think, no, I clearly didn't do the best I can. You still did. You just think you, just think you could have done better. But the fact is, if you could have done better, you would have. That was your level of ethics. That was your level of energy. Sometimes we just don't have the energy. Or maybe it was just a poor choice that you didn't do the right thing. That's a limitation as well. Does that help? Okay. I hope I'm making some sense. These are all tricky subjects, as you can imagine. So I'm doing my best to answer them all. I hope at some point um, the whole thing kind of kind of convalesces into a 
uh, a pretty good understanding of what these are. And so uh, for, um, anyways, for anger, uh, we're, we're dealing with the, uh, and when you know better, you do better. <laughs> I like that, yeah. That's very good. <clears throat> so um, dealing with anger, uh, of course, we're going to list, a lot of these are, are, are the same antidotes to so many things. So with anger, understanding, accepting, using antidotes. Um, the traditional antidote for anger is presence, patience, calmness, loving kindness, and constructive emotions. So um, oftentimes they'll suggest that, lamas will suggest when, when anger arises, practice loving kindness. Um, anxiety, a state of worry, nervousness, or insecurity. Uh, again, understanding, acceptance, and, and, and using antidotes. Uh, some of these are so much the same, I almost don't even need to read them. Let me keep going. Desire, a strong wanting need or wish. And again, understanding, accepting, and antidotes. I don't know why I underlined some of these. There's not much I can talk about. Um, I'm going to change. Give me one second to change those for our next teaching. Uh, grief is a good one to talk about here. Um so grief can be defined as an intense sorrow caused by loss. And, and, and that loss can be, we think about grief with losing loved ones, but grief can be the loss of many things. It could be the loss of your house, possessions, a job. Um, the interesting thing about grief in Buddhism is that initially when we, when we suffer from any kind of grief, of course we, we need to accept it try to understand it, but uh, it's important to allow the grieving practice uh, to happen. Other, uh, other afflictions like anger and things, we, we work to, to right away try to, try to come to terms with them and suppress, or not suppress them, but transcend them. But grief is a little different. Uh, the mind needs to grieve. It needs some time to grieve. And so what we do is in this process is we, we accept it and we accept our emotions and we realize that, yes, I've had loss. This is a time to feel the way I'm feeling, my sadness and everything else, to accept that, to go through it. But the interesting part comes afterwards. So once you felt like you've had enough time to grieve and you feel like you're ready to start moving on from that. And of course, that's going to be different for everybody. And especially with what you're losing, uh, you know, losing, uh, losing a grandparent uh, is, is causes less sadness than say losing a child because, because our expectations, we assume that our grandparents will pass away sometime in our lifetime. So, the grief is very individual to the person and to the experience themselves. But when you're ready to start moving on, we turn grief into appreciation, which everybody knows about appreciation now. We turn that grief from how sad it is that my grandmother has passed. We turn that into how fortunate I was to have her in my life. And that's the, uh, that's the way the Buddhism deals with grief of any kind, you know. Um, so let's move on to the next one. The next one is sadness, sadness and hopelessness. I have a message here I want to read. That works for stealing a candy bar, but what if you murder a person? There must be a place for penance. Not in Buddhism. There's no penance in Buddhism. Uh, karma is, is uh, internal. It's about how you feel about the things you've done. I think the, I think the premise works the same way. Um, but of course, killing someone would be a much heavier thing to deal with. Uh, but um, I guess you could say, well, I did kill that person back when I was 21, and I haven't killed anybody since then for the next 40 years. But you're right, that you, when you get into extreme uh, examples, it does become quite complicated. I, I think that the same scenario still applies. Uh, yeah, the penance you face is how you feel about yourself. And how you feel about yourself influences and projects your future. Whether we're talking about rebirth or we're just talking about life in the next moment. Yeah. So, Tarpa, um, maybe I didn't use the correct word uh, when I said penance. 
I meant um, like going to prison. Um, like in Buddhism, I don't think they would say you didn't, you you wouldn't need to go to prison for that, would they? Oh no, Buddhism would would go along with the law. You know, you 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 can understand that. So let's say in this situation. So a lot of it has to do with this, this scenario. Why was why was the person murdered? Was it a soldier in battle? Was it somebody on the street corner? Was it a a, a, a crime of passion? There's a lot of different scenarios here. Let's say it's a person who has real issues with anger, and they they went black. They they went black and they killed the person. They come to they barely even know what happened. You can't necessarily blame the person for this affliction but at the same time you have to hold the person responsible it's a bit of a paradox but it needs to be society needs to function in a certain way right yeah so here again what are we doing we're bringing wisdom in right everything we talk about every practice we do we bring wisdom in so here again wisdom has to be applied somebody stealing candy bars that's an easier one to decide, right? That's an easy one for the judge. But mm-hmm. when you talk about something like that, you talk about genocide by a world leader, boy, these are these are really complex. But yeah, people have to be held responsible. But Buddhism would like to see the prison system reformed. Buddhism would like to see, you know, believes that criminals are, are people that are dealing with mental afflictions. Somebody didn't like the when I used the word mental illness, but mm-hmm. In a lot of the texts, they just call those kind of behaviors mental, a form of mental illness. So Buddhism believes that. Buddhism believes that a person in the, in the right state of mind couldn't harm another person. So even, even mild violence is someone who's, there's something wrong there. There's a, there's a mental illness. We could, we could just call it affliction. So we would rather have people be in hospitals. That person who murdered, he might not be, you know, the best thing to do would be maybe to not let him on the street again, but, you know, have him live, live somewhere in dignity. So that's the Buddhist idea. And Buddhism doesn't believe in capital punishment. Darcy or Rick, did you want to, did you want to add more? No, no, that was interesting. Thank oh. you. I would like to make clear I never murdered anyone. <laughs> I don't believe you. And Dennis's brain disorder is another name for mental illness. Yeah, brain disorder sounds more like you need surgery, you know. But, well, I, I actually like just mental affliction. But uh, to just let people know that in so many ways, I see, the, I see the spectrum of Buddhism, of confusion and clarity as a spectrum of, of, of sanity and insanity. You know, that's a, those are stronger language. But for me, it, it is very similar to that. In Buddhism, we're just learning how to be much more sane human beings, right? Gain control over our minds. Yeah. Okay, I'll carry on. Yeah, this is a, a tough lesson uh, to teach because a lot of these comments and a lot of these qualities, they, they really touch nerves in people for specific things. Um, I want to talk about now about sadness and hopelessness. I purposefully did not use the word depression because this is such, it's such a difficult term to use because we have clinical depression, which I'm not qualified to talk about, and many others. So here when I say sadness and hopelessness, I'm not talking about a clinical condition, but I'm talking about the, the common sadness and hopelessness that many of us feel within our lives. Um, and it's defined here as a state of mind devoid of a sense of well-being. And I think that that's a, that's a nice way to, to talk about it. The antidotes are, again, similar. Understanding acceptance using antidotes, um, using um, presence, patience, calmness, constructive emotions, altruism, helping out others. You know, I, there was an old poem that I used to love, and it, it was something like, "If you if you're dealing from if you're dealing from poverty, help someone who's more poor than you. If you're feeling lonely, help someone who's more lonely than you." And I and I it just went down the list, and I thought there's such truth to that. So this idea of of uh, altruism and working to help others and benefit others, and when you realize 
the 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 sadness and, and suffering of others. It helps so much. Um, it reminds me of the story that the uh, the Buddha gave uh, about the woman who whose child dies and she can't she can't bear to to put the child down, and she goes to the Buddha and she believes the Buddha has magic and he can help, and he tells her to get a handful of mustard seeds from from a home that hasn't been touched by death. And so mustard seeds are as abundant as salt in India. But as she goes house to house, they all say, yeah, we have mustard seeds. And she says, is, but has anybody been touched by death here? Has there been any death in the home? And they all say, oh yes, we've all lost people. And at the end, she has the realization that that every everyone's touched by death and she's able to put the child to rest and bury the child. So uh, <clears throat> it's the same thing here, right? Um, and then we have a, 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 I think there's other qualities. I'll give you some time to just ask questions if there's qualities here that, afflictions here that I'm not touching on that you'd like some information about. I'd like to move down to negative self-evaluation. So, and this has to do with our daily obsessions, you know, am I okay? Am I smart? Am I handsome? Am I liked? loved, respected, successful, all these things, you know, we're always evaluating, you know, how many friends do I have? How many houses and cars do I have? We're all kind of into the self-evaluation and it can become quite negative, right? You could do it in a positive way. You could, have, you could say, how kind am I to people? How many people have I helped today? But uh, I think our minds, we get caught up in this negative self-evaluation. And again, the uh, antidotes are are pretty much the same. Um, but ultimately, it's learning to accept and appreciate ourselves. Again, um, <clears throat> uh, like Dennis's question, it's about awakening to your true value. And we're, again, we're going to talk about that in our, I think it's our, um, it's our last week, but we talk about with this, and we have practices for uncovering our true value. So we'll get to that. Oversensitivity is a favorite of mine. Is it just me or does it seem like nowadays people are so sensitive? What do you guys think? Is it just me? Does it seem like everybody's just looking for a reason to be mad? Looking to be a reason to be outraged, right? And it seems like people actually join groups just because they can be more outraged in that group. <laughs> right? Like people will join. And of, of course, there's so many people that are in these groups for legitimate reasons. But I can think about a couple people who join like um, <clears throat> um, the recycling programs or something, just so they can point their finger at other people and yell at the world around them. And I was in a when I was in Colorado, I had a neighbor that seemed like that. And she just go around the neighborhood yelling at people for what they were putting in their garbage. That's cardboard and that can be recycled. That belongs in a green bin, not in and it just seemed like what I don't think she was really so interested in saving the world. I think she just really wanted to be mad and really wanted to lash out at people. Maybe I'm mistaken, but it seems like People being overly sensitive is a problem these days. And um, so there's a spectrum. You know, in my father's day, the problem was people weren't sensitive enough. You know, my father's day, you, men didn't, didn't hug or you, men didn't express their feelings. And probably women didn't do so much either. Um, and so clearly society needed to gain some sensitivity. And we did. But now I'm wondering if maybe we're on the other side of the spectrum these days where we're becoming a bit too sensitive and we just have to realize that other people have different views, right? That it's okay to accept that. Darcy's saying she's one of those people. She's raised <laughs> her hand. <laughs> I, I just, it's, it's like the pendulum swings way over before it settles in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think some somehow we'll get to the middle, but right now I think we're on a pretty good swing to the to the uh, to the other side. In teachings, I have to be very careful because I've had people really mad at me for saying 
you know, sometimes a, a single word or something, they get mad. And it's, no, it's nobody's fault. I mean, again, this is an affliction as well, isn't it? And so, um, but we have to be careful of that. And just understanding it and just realizing it's there, noticing it within your behavior, oftentimes that's enough to kind of deal with it. It's not a bad affliction. But I do challenge everybody to let's all try to be a little better at that and just realize oftentimes people say things that they don't mean. Oftentimes people have opinions that that you don't have to agree with, right? And those who have bodhisattva vows in our group, it's we write that very clearly in our bodhisattva vows, don't we? We have vows of respecting other people's opinions, respecting other people's viewpoints, their mindsets. So I, w I was very cautious uh, or very careful to make sure that those made it into our bodhisattva vows. But that's a, that's a fascinating uh, topic. The comedians are always complaining about it. Have you guys seen it on YouTube? The comedians complain that everywhere they go, everything's so PC that nobody can take a joke anymore. That they, they see a joke and everybody in the audience is complaining, hey, I owned a Toyota once in my life. I'm offended by that joke, right? <laughs> I once had Japanese sushi and I don't like that joke, whatever the silly thing might be. And we're running long, so I don't want to... Um, the other quality I wanted to talk about was pride. Um, <clears throat> pride, I think, is really uh, misunderstood. And until recently, I think I didn't have a great presentation on it. And I don't remember where I found it. It was in one of our texts that we were studying. And this idea that, um, because we have the idea of virtuous and non-virtuous pride. In the Buddhist text, prize, pride, I believe, is always considered to be a negative affliction. But of course, at least in the English language, pride is a nice thing also. We're proud of our kids. We can be proud of ourselves for doing the right thing, for doing something good, right? I'm proud that I finished Tarpa's class, whatever it may be. Um, and then, of course, we have non-virtuous pride, which is, which is actually, we should be using the word conceit, I think. So in Buddhism, when we see the word pride, I think we should, we should be seeing the word conceit, the, this narcissism, right? An exaggeration of our own values and capabilities. <clears throat> and, um, and again, the, oh, the antidote to this is, uh, again, presence and patience, but humility. Uh, agnosticism is an incredibly beautiful uh, uh, antidote to conceit, is to realize that we don't have all the answers, and, uh, and constructive emotions as well. Suffering related to self-identity is probably some of the strongest that we deal with. However, it's a very heavy subject in Buddhism, and one that I just couldn't do here. So we're going to be addressing that in our, our, our next program that we'll probably do over the summer <clears throat> called Secular Buddhist Essentials. And because it gets into understanding what identity is in Buddhism. But <clears throat> self-identity is probably the greatest reason, greatest affliction, or an exaggerated self-identity. And so that's uh, often a, a, a huge uh, subject and topic to deal with. Do we have any questions? I know we're running late on our class. Let's keep going. Okay. Let me conclude what we have here. <clears throat> Sorry, I have a little frog in my throat. So in today's class, we learned the power of understanding, probably the greatest tool in our arsenal in Buddhism. <clears throat> understanding things helps us to transcend things instead of suppressing afflictions. Um, we've been talking more about <clears throat> not personifying our challenging emotions and mental states. Uh, we also talk about learning to practice patience, which is to reduce emotional reactivity. 
we talked about um, the use of utilizing antidotes. And to me, the four steps of acceptance is one of the great antidotes. I'm hoping that that everybody out there is using our antonym, our, uh, our acronym, PAA, and you guys are practicing <laughs> the four steps acceptance and finding it to be a very valuable tool like I do. And um, so next week, um, or this week's practice will be focused on the three great objectives, study, contemplation, and meditation on what we've learned this week. Uh, while using introspection throughout your day to watch and investigate your emotions and mental states as they arise in order to gain insight into their inner workings to develop understanding. Uh, continue trying to disidentify yourself with others and others from your limitations um, and cultivate, uh, keep practicing cultivating uh, trust to create more self-confidence. Um, also, remember to continue your practice of the threefold training. So let's not confuse the three great objectives, which are aspects of kind of study, study, contemplation, and meditation, with the threefold training, which is our training in goodness, our training in understanding, and our training in higher mental states. <clears throat> um, next week will be our fifth, fifth week and our sixth uh and of our six-week skillful living program in which we're going to be exploring style and lifestyle. This is a fascinating uh, week and one of my favorites. I can't wait to share it with you. Uh, always remember that I'm a click away to help and support you if you have any troubles at all. Uh, lastly, although our program is free, our group does rely on donations to continue its work. So if you're enjoying the program, consider making a donation at sbtonline.org. And just to let people know that SBT is not a lucrative organization. We are always just barely holding our head above the water. I think some people wonder if we're getting buckets of money. And the fact is that we have a very generous sangha, but we have a small sangha. And so the fact is, is most months we're just barely getting by. So any help at all would be absolutely wonderful. Let's end today's meditation with our altruistic affirmation. May all be healthy. May all be prosperous. May all be well. May all be present free of past regret and future worry. May all abide in constant appreciation, which is a source of great joy and contentment. May all realize their true nature and the true nature of reality, which is awakening. Thanks everybody for coming. Remember, SBT was created for one purpose, to support you, the practitioner. Great to see everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Thank you. Anytime. Thank you, Tapa. See you tomorrow. You're welcome. Bye-bye. See you tomorrow.